0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're with us. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Matthew. It's a joy to have you today. Hope all is well in your world. Uh, Praying for you to uh, enter and move through this season with health and joy and life. Uh, today, my wife is at home, uh, kind of receiving some healing, Got it? kind of been sick this week a little bit, and so I'm going to look at the camera a whole lot today, because I'll get to go home and play nurse later on, and I'm just trying to butter it up and earn all the points I can today. I know she's watching there, uh, but man, it's, it's good to have you uh, today. Go, join me today, Acts chapter 15. We're going to be at the end of Acts 15, and so you can go ahead and get turned there. Uh, We've been, as a church, walking through the book of Acts, and if we can zoom out for a big picture perspective, we've been studying this and taking note of how the early church was a radiant church. We've been gathering principles and examples of what does it mean to be radiant instead of radioactive, both on a personal level, but also on a corporate church level. What does it mean to personally be radiant? And what does it mean to corporately be a radiant people together? Now, specifically last week, we kind of talked about how every believer has a universal assignment from God on their life to be an ambassador that is maturing in their faith. We also talked about how we each have a unique assignment on our lives a unique thing that God's called us to. And this unique assignment is kind of found at the intersection of our passions, our skills, and the opportunities that God kind of brings into our lives. And along the way, God's given us abilities and these gifts to aid us on our assignment. And one of the gifts that He's given us is a family of God, a church community, a body of believers, structures and systems of spiritual authority in our lives to help equip us, shape us, move us forward so that we continue to mature in the stewardship of these assignments that he has for us. And we did that by looking at the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas went on. And today I want us to to look at the second missionary journey that Paul goes on. And next week we'll look at the Third missionary journey that Paul goes on. But today, uh, we want to look at this the beginning part of Paul's second missionary journey, and uh, they're going to put an image on the screen of a map of all the places and the travel stops that the Apostle Paul went on this second missionary journey. If You can read about his stops in these places in Acts 16, 17, and 18 this week, if you'd like. Now, His second missionary journey was a little bit more intense than the first missionary journey. He experienced beatings, imprisonment, uh, some miraculous things took place in amazing ways, some challenges that were unique even on the onset. There, There are some unique elements to this journey, like he had some different companions that went with him. On this missionary journey, we are introduced to people like Timothy and Silas Priscilla, Aquila, Apollo, some key figures in the radiant early church. He visits some really key locations to the story of God's people in places like Thessalonica, Philippi, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, even Galatia. All with significant events happening at each of these stops. In fact, you will notice, those of you that are familiar with the scriptures, you'll notice that each of these places are, 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 are most of these places are the title recipients, the titles and the recipients of the writings that the Apostle Paul would write, which are in your New Testament Bible. First and Second Thessalonians, Philippians, Ephesians, First and Second Corinthians. Timothy 1 and 2, like like these are the places and the people that got the letters written to him. And so it's actually kind of a fun thing. You read Acts 16, 17, and 18, and then you read about what he did in Galatia, and then you go flip over in the New Testament, and you read his letter to the Galatians, and you're like, oh, that's why he said what he said. There was some stuff happening right there. And you see that same thing in Corinth. And you see the same thing in Philippi when he writes to the Philippians. All of these things occur. There's some wonderful things that happen like some key Bible stories that maybe you've heard of. Things like Paul and Silas being imprisoned, And at midnight in Philippi, they start singing worship to God. And there's like an earthquake. And their chains that were bound to them, keeping them locked in place, suddenly, miraculously fell off of them. And the gates of their jail cell swung open. And God did a miraculous thing. And revival began. And people were getting saved. And so some iconic Bible stories take place in this second missionary journey that Paul goes on in fact one of the greatest apologetic sermons ever preached is preached by the apostle Paul and it's recorded when he stands up in Athens and declaring some things that are just absolutely amazing as he's preaching to these Greeks and giving an apologetic for the existence and the activity of a good creative God Some wonderful things happen on this journey, but the start of the journey was a little bit bumpy, as was much of the rest of the journey in different ways. And I want us to look at the start of this, kind of examine some things, and learn how to become more radiant along the way. We're going to start in Acts 15, start in verse 36, and we'll roll right into the beginning of chapter 16. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, a relative of his. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they decided to separate. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for uh, Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and he left the believers, and the believers entrusted all of them to the Lord's gracious care as they went. And then he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Paul went first to Derby and then to, to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father a Greek, Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. I'm going to hit pause right here and explain this action by the apostle Paul. It seems a little extreme, especially considering in Acts 15, they had made the decision that Greeks didn't need to be circumcised and become Jews in order to experience salvation. Rather, salvation wasn't because you were Jewish. Salvation was because you put your allegiance to Jesus. And Greek and Jews alike entered the kingdom of God the same way, and that is through Jesus Christ. So they didn't need to do all this stuff, but yet here's Paul doing all of this stuff. Why in the world? Well, the scripture hints at it. It's in deference for the Jews in which they were going. Paul didn't want anything to get in the way or distract or hinder those particular people from being able to receive the transforming work of the Spirit. Didn't want to give them any legs to stand on to refute or rebuke or dismiss what Paul was about to say. It's similar to a decision that we as a church made Uh, in uh, early 2017, I think it was. We made a decision as a church out of deference for the people in our area to no longer pass a collection plate in our services. Why would we make such a decision? Well, for lots of reasons. Primarily, the Lord put it on our heart to do it. It's a bit of a faith decision for us. But we did it. One of the reasons is because so many people who have been burned by church also have a distaste in their mouth anytime the word money is mentioned in a congregation of the people of God. And we don't want anyone to come into our midst and have a reason to reject Jesus unnecessarily because they are unaware of what the scripture teaches on the subject, but their past experience gives them a certain flavor in their mouth. We don't take offerings at Faith Church, but we do have opportunities to forgive if you want. If you want to give, you can give. So we put offering boxes all around the perimeter of the room, and give people the opportunity to give if they want. No awkward plate being passed as people look at you wondering what you're about to put in there, and you're like, "I give online. I promise. I promise. I give online. It's it's where I do it. Uh, yeah, really. Just protecting people's hearts and previous hurts." so that it doesn't become an unnecessary hurdle for people to encounter the transforming work of Jesus. Doesn't give them a leg to stand on when they come and say, the church is just about taking my money. And we can say, yeah, you can give if you want. And when we you give, we give. We give back to our community. We give back to other places. 10% of everything that comes in goes right back out. We give as a church. We want to lead the way in generosity. And our hearts are clean in that process. We have some feet to stand on as we say those things. We can talk about money in the church as the Bible teaches on it and never once people feel obligated to give. This is what the Apostle Paul is doing with the circumcision in Timothy, not giving any room for anyone to refute the message of Jesus that was going to be preached in those places out of deference and care and concern for other people, not doing anything to distract from the main thing, and that is the message of Jesus goes on to say this in verse 6. Next, Paul and Silas then traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit, don't miss this, had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They, coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Mysia to the seaport of Trous. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him in this vision come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to go uh, to preach the good news there. So we boarded a boat at Trous and sailed straight through the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed in Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. What you'll find is Lydia and her household became the housing ground or the the gathering place for the church to begin in Philippi. The church in Philippi would grow and grow and grow. And women were a key prominent factor in the leadership of those churches and those places and of those gathering spots. And in that process, they became incredibly generous in support of. Paul, especially during times in the future, when Paul would be imprisoned, and the only way when he was imprisoned he could survive is if people were partnering with him and sending him food and support to enable him to continue to survive while in prison. God was arranging so many of the details of the unfolding Radiant Church here in the beginning of this story, of the beginning of this journey. But there were two significant things that occurred at the beginning of this missionary journey. Two things that could have derailed the whole mission, but didn't. These two things that occurred were a riff and a roadblock. Paul and Barnabas faced a relational riff, and then in a little bit I'll talk to you about the roadblock that Paul faced as he went along. Let's talk about this riff for just a minute. Now, we see in the text that they had a disagreement, and it was pretty sharp. It was pretty clear what that disagreement was. Now, we as Americans, we, we, we we're like, well, they had a disagreement, and they went a separate ways. But like, what really happened? Like, who threw the first punch? Like, how, how nasty was this separation? How, I mean, who got the kids and who didn't get the kids? Like, what, let's get to the details here. Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. I think sometimes we are growing for secrecy and suspicion that isn't helpful as we come to the text as we kind of think in that way but we we find ourselves asking legitimate questions as we look at the text like was this a personality driven like riff was it paul was type a hard charging uh, execute the the vision go 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 results 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 expand 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 let's go muscle up buddy up let's go have faith don't doubt be a man let's roll Barnabas was a little more sensitive, caring, loving, nurturing. Let me come alongside and support you and encourage you and shepherd you and love you and be patient with you and give you another chance and so full of mercy and grace. Was it just this personality difference that caused the split? I I don't think so. Was it a, a preference issue where Paul preferred this kind of companion and Barnabas preferred this kind of a thing and they just split because they couldn't decide on preference? I don't think so. Was it just a lack of trust? Paul had been burned? He didn't trust John Mark and was bitter about it? I don't think so. In fact, I actually think that they actually settled their disagreement and that's why they decided to go separate ways. I actually think they they came to a conclusion and settled some things in their disagreement. Even though it was sharp, I think Paul and Barnabas had settled some issues And that's why they decided to multiply out. I I don't think it was just a a Jew and Greek hurdle and divide. I I don't think it was just that John Mark spent a lot of time in Jerusalem and was Jewish by nature, and so he wasn't cut out for this hard mission that Paul was. I think there's some practical things there for sure, but I don't think it was a family strife issue. Barnabas likes his family, and so it was all preferential treatment and nepotism. I don't think that's it at all. I don't think that's... It's necessary to, to this issue one bit. I don't think it was that John Mark was some sub-follower of Jesus. Like he was some second-class disciple. Ancient uh, Christian tradition has it that John Mark is the author of the first printed gospel of Jesus known as the gospel of Mark. Like, he wrote the first gospel of Jesus. He's not some chump, some son, like. He had a key role in furthering the mission of Jesus' church throughout the ages, for which we are all deeply grateful for Him. I think there's a lot that we could assume, but it's not helpful to assume. Because when you assume in the midst of a rift, something doesn't pan out right, and we often live with incorrect perceptions of another party. I do believe that they settled it and then went their separate ways for God's kingdom. Because even in a messy and less than ideal scenario, God can still work his purposes. Even in the midst of a messy relational situation in your life, where you think one way, they think another way, God can work that mess into a beautiful message. Even into the disappointment that you feel, because something that you didn't think would ever end came to an end, God can do something miraculous in that moment and bring glory to his name in that process. God can still work his purpose even in the mess and the less than ideal that we find. That's only if we're willing to acknowledge that a riff doesn't have to lead to divisiveness. You don't have to be divisive when you disagree with somebody. You don't have to be a jerk when you don't see eye to eye and you have a different preference. When you don't understand why somebody does what they do, but yet you have to pick up the shrapnel of the pain of their decisions. Sometimes partnerships and relationships need to end. There are necessary endings in our life. Necessary for Jobs to end. Necessary for relationships to go different directions. Necessary sometimes to leave a community of believers that you've grown up going to the same church, but yet knowing it's time to move to another place. Necessary endings. Please hear me. I'm not saying... That because everything worked out for Paul and Barnabas and the kingdom of God expanded and God was moving, that the ends justify the means. Because I think it's too easy to look at, well, God, God, God restored me, so it was all good. No, you were a jerk to them. You never went back and apologized. There's a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness. The ends don't justify the means. There's some closure that needs to be. There's some things that you never settled that you needed to settle. In fact, some things you need to settle and get healing in before you try to go to the next relationship. But relationships are messy. People are messy. Life is messy. And and I want you to hear, while the means don't justify the end, sometimes endings are needed so new things can begin. Change and transitions are a part of life. And if you don't like change and you don't like transitions, you won't like life. It's not that we don't like change. Can I just be real, real frank and clear? We don't like change that we don't initiate and control. That's the change we don't like when somebody makes the decision of change for us. We don't like that. That's what we don't It's not that we don't like change because circumstances change, life change, transitions occur. God made your physical body to change as you age and mature. Changes are a natural part of how God created the cycles of the world. That's why Ecclesiastes 3 tells you that for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build out, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and then a time to celebrate and dance. Seasons, they come, they go. You can't start a new season until the old season ends. You're not supposed to experience summer when it's fall. But in Kansas, everything is confusing. Seasons get all sort of messed up and confusing. But that's what happens when we're supposed to be in one season but we haven't let go of the other season. A lot of confusion and chaos begins to grow in our lives. It's a season for everything. And until we begin to recognize that God works and the world works in seasons where there are transitions and there are endings, and until we learn to transition and walk through necessary endings in God-honoring ways, we will get stuck and stall out in our lives and we will let rifts derail our purpose. And we will let Frustrations in a relationship brew to the point of destructive things. Friends, change and transitions are a part of life. Sometimes the changes are circumstances that bring unforeseen change. You lose a job. You didn't get into the college that you wanted. Change often is forced on us. Someone that you love dies. Change. Time to grieve. Time to laugh. Sometimes relationships need to dissolve because they're toxic and unhealthy. It's not producing good things. It's being destructive. Sometimes relationships need to dissolve. They need to change. They need to separate because they're not healthy and the the parties aren't willing to change. I, I, I was reading a book this week. Actually, I was listening to the book this week called... Uh, Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud, and he has in there how it's important to treat three types of people. Every person, and often each person can be any one of these three multiple times. Like, Like in some areas, you might be wise. In other areas, you might be the fool. And in other areas, you just might be evil. And the Bible instructs us, especially in the book of Proverbs, how to deal with each kind of person how to deal with the wise, how to deal with the fool, and how to treat something and someone that's acting evil. And it doesn't mean that if you're evil in one area, you're evil in all areas. Sometimes we can can be evil in one area, but wise in other areas of our life because we're all in a continuum of growth and change and transformation. But... In the areas where you are wise, you can give people instruction. They take it and they grow from it. In the area of a fool, they will reorient the truth so that they don't have to adjust their life. They will adjust the truth rather than adjusting life. So so when when your boss tells you "You you're you're not working up to this level and they're confronting you about how your performance has been or a teacher corrects how you've been operating in class or a coach is giving you better instruction on how to do um, whatever it is that you're in if you if you reorient the truth so that you don't have to change your behavior you're acting like a fool yeah. a fool will change and adjust the truth so they don't have to adjust and change their life we do this with God all the time God tells you to do something God confronts you about an area in your life. God is speaking to you about something and you readjust the truth to orient to how you're already living rather than adjusting how you're living to submit to the truth. Something has to change in us if our life is going to grow and flourish in the ways of God. Sometimes things have to be pruned. Pruning is proactive endings. We prune to... Uh, help sick buds become healthy on a rose bush. We prune a rose bush that has too many buds, that's too distracting, so that the buds that remain can gather the energy and the life of the plant and can grow and flourish even more beautifully. And we prune dead buds because they're not coming back to life and it's time for those to end as well. All are examples of important endings. In his book, Unnecessary Endings, Dr. Henry Cloud says this, Without the ability to end things, people stay stuck, never becoming who they are meant to be, never accomplishing all of their talents and abilities should afford them. You cannot go to the next until you let go of what you're experiencing right now. Can I say it again? You won't go to the next thing God has until you really let go of what's happening now. Some of you won't go forward into a flourishing life of the way of Christ because you're too busy partying in the old life when God has called you to walk in a new life. You're still hanging with the old crowd when God is trying to bring new relationships into your life. You're still living with old mindsets that he's trying to break off of you, get away from you, and help end so that you can walk in the new way of thinking, which is the mind like Christ. Necessary endings. Jesus said, it is necessary that my time with you on this earth ends so that I can send the Holy Spirit who can fill all of you and be with all of you at the same time because as long as I am here what is better can't come near you he said it another way he says you don't put a patch over a holy thing. No, no, you get some new cloth. He said, you don't put new wine in old wineskins because you can't get the newness of what God wants to do in you if you're still holding on to the old thing that you're stuck in today. Some things have to end and change. The question is, how can we, like Paul and Barnabas, learn to settle so that we can go separate into the next season that God has for us? How do we settle the disagreements? How do we settle the the rift? How do we settle these things and transition well in our life? How do we do that? Can I give you four thoughts practically? Number one, we're going to transition and change and leave a job, leave a relationship, leave a church. I know none of you ever plan to leave a church. I know. I'm glad. It's just so wonderful. Maybe your friends might be leaving a church one day. What's the right way to leave a church? Four things. 1. Honor. Never speak ill or gossip about what was. Relationship breaks apart, refuse to gossip about that other person. Refuse to do it. Don't do it. You you leave a job or are removed from a job, don't demonize the company because you're hurting. It's okay to differentiate and distinguish what is different without demonizing and speaking ill of what was. People move churches, and they're always quick to trying to differentiate why they fall in love with faith church compared to what maybe their past experience was. And it's really hard for them, it's really hard for people to speak differentially without demonizing what was. We have a hard time with that as people. How do I recognize, wait a second, I need to honor this employer because without this opportunity to be in this job, my family would have starved. It's hard to recognize, wait a second, I need to be grateful for something in the midst of hurting in this season. We demonize them because we're having a hard time trying to distinguish and differentiating and looking at the details. Don't do it. Here's why. Because wherever there is a lack of honor, the miraculous move of God cannot happen. If you need God to move on your behalf but you're walking with dishonor out of your mouth, He won't move. Why? Because Jesus said when He went to Nazareth, He could not do many miracles because there was no honor flowing from their lips. Dishonor limits God's work in your life. And if you need God to work in your life, walk in honor and not in dishonor. Number two... Humility. Honor always requires humility. Never assume it's always their fault. Never assume it's always one's. Well, it's just the coach. The coach doesn't like me. M- maybe. Or, or maybe you're just not good enough. What's the company? They're just such a terrible group. But m- maybe that might be true. But, like, were you, like, the best employee ever? Like, never messed up, always on time, always did the right, like... Or did you do something perhaps incorrect? Well, I can't... believe it. We have a hard time walking with humility. That's just that church. I can't believe they don't, they don't feed us well at that church. I can't... No, I can't, know. Really? Like, it wasn't the fact that you only showed up once every eight weeks? <laughs> never opened the Bible on your own? Well, they don't feed me. Well... I don't know, right? You hear what I'm saying? The other element to this humility is we often minimize. It's not a big deal, whatever. We downplay it all. It's, I'll be fine, we will be fine, no big deal, whatever. I'm going to move on. I, ain't no I don't care what people think. That's not humility. It's a false assumption of humility. Humility is willing to say, this hurts, I don't like it, but I'm going to move on from it. I'm going to settle some things so the riff doesn't derail my purpose. Number three, honesty. When you're in a relational riff, be honest. Talk directly, clearly, and don't miss this one, kindly. This is what Paul did. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, I I know you want to bring John Mark, but um, last time, he left us high and dry. I think the mission is way too critical for what I think God's got for us on this next journey. I, I, don't, I don't know that I can ride in that way. I think it's important that we make some different decisions here. Communication like that brings freedom to everybody. When, when, when your friends need to leave their church, because you will never leave your church, Honesty. Do do you actually communicate with your leaders or do you just ghost them like you're a 14-year-old preteen breaking up for the first time? Just not going to respond. I'm not going to text them back. I'm not going to just, I'm going to ignore them and then when I see them in Walmart, whoop, different aisle, let's go, right? Like, never to talk to the people that you worshipped with, never to, right? Just ghosting them. No, honesty. Honest conversation. And then finally, be generous. Be generous. Find a way to act in a generous way to the parties that you're separating from. Why? Because generosity is like the mouthwash that gets rid of the bacteria of the bitterness that is growing in your heart if you don't. When you choose to be generous, it allows you to be grateful. And when you're grateful, you heal the bitterness that's trying to grow. And you don't want bitterness to grow in your heart. You want to know why? Because what is bitter always gets to the root. And if there is a bitter root, all of your fruit will eventually be bitter and not good in the next season. How you end one thing is how you will begin the next thing. So end in a good way. And settle it in a good way and watch how God works on your behalf. Because there are rifts that you will experience in relationships in your life, but you can settle it and separate into the next season that God has for you. You can settle the riff and step into what's next for your life. Second thing that they encountered was a roadblock these roadblocks where they were thought they were going to go visit these places, but the text says that the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself would not let them go to the next place. Like, wouldn't let them go. It was like this providential roadblock of sorts. This sovereign setup to get them to stop. Where where they thought they were going one way, and God says, not so fast. These roadblocks that we experience in our life, friends, are an opportunity for us to see from God's perspective. Problems that you face as you progress in your life are not for you to acknowledge or feel like a failure. Rather, any moment where you feel like you failed is the opportunity for you to learn a new perspective from heaven. When you find yourself stopped and stalled out in life, things aren't working the way that you thought they were. You, you thought you heard God, you stepped out in faith, you started the business, you did the thing, you began the small group, you started to serve, you started to get, you started taking steps in your life and all of a sudden boom, roadblocks. And when we hit those roadblocks, it's really easy to bail on what we were trying to do. Like the minute you decide to get baptized, it's going to be great. But the two weeks after you get baptized, it's like hell breaks loose. You're like, oh my gosh, I made the wrong decision. And all of your flesh comes screaming back. And you want to go back to old patterns of living. But don't. What do you do when you hit these roadblocks? What do you do? You have to look for the perspective of heaven. I remember... Our church was heading in in some directions. There was a lot of momentum in our church. A lot of great things were happening. People were getting saved and baptized. And we just started growth track. And people were starting to go. And this little thing happened in our world called COVID. Do you remember such a thing? It was like everything stopped. All of our momentum we felt like as a church stopped. And for weeks, I just preached to a camera and like five close friends that gathered to help lead us in worship. And I, was, I, I remember in that season, as we started to come out of that and regather and orient ourselves, and we got past all of the dissonance and the division and the stupid things people were saying, and like we just like separated it all, God began to rally and reorient something in my heart around the person of Jesus, and he began to, to show me some things that needed to be pruned in our church. Some things that needed to change and some perspectives that needed to shift. Out of that, as we came out of that time, you remember several years ago, one of our theme, our theme for the year was Faith 2.0? We talked about some new reoriented and refocused mindsets that we have as a church some commitments that we have, some, some ethos of who we are as a community. And, and it's been an unfolding, ongoing process. There was a shift that occurred in our church coming out of that. That, hear me friends, I don't think would have happened had that roadblock known as COVID, whatever you want to think about it, what, it caused us to stop and reevaluate. Those are the roadblocks I'm talking about. Things that come out of nowhere that make you stop. How do we handle those things? For, for Paul, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go to certain places. It was like the Holy Spirit was in a roadblock saying, nope, you don't get to go here. And he went to some new nations. And in those new nations, he found some Jews. How did those Jews get in those Greek, Asian, Turkey? Filled? How did they get there? Well, if you rewind all the way back to the book of Ezra, you'll find that they were in exile, and instead of returning back to Jerusalem, they stayed put. And what for those in Jerusalem felt like failure. Nobody's coming back to Jerusalem to help us build the temple. Why are so many Jews staying scattered all over the place? Why aren't they coming back? Why aren't people coming to church? COVID's over. Let's go. Why, oh why, oh why? You you, You know who those people who never came back were? God had providentially rerouted their lives to stay put because when Paul shows up in Philippi, he needs some Jews to talk to first. And had all of the Jews left those places and returned back to Jerusalem all the way back in the Old Testament under Ezra and Nehemiah, nobody would have been present in Antioch and Thessalonica and Ephesus and Athens and Corinth. God in his providence had rerouted so that his plans could prevail. What looked like a roadblock was a setup for God to do something different. So how do we get to those places in our lives? Let me give you two things real fast. When you hit a roadblock in your life, something that you didn't expect, something that you thought you were obeying God, but now phew, you feel blocked, you feel stopped, you feel like something isn't, you're not sure what to do next, you feel disoriented, you want to quit and give up. Number one, Exercise restraint and slow down. Slow down. Don't rush to the next thing until God begins to speak to you about the last thing. Don't get ahead of God. I can't tell you the number of times I felt like God has whispered something to me and I'd be like, oh, I know what God wants me to do and boom, I'm bolting off to the next thing getting three and four steps ahead and he never said to do x y or z he just showed me one thing but i didn't stop to listen paul paul who's supposed to go with me where are we supposed to go exactly what order should we do that in we often get in a hurry and get ahead of god and when you hit a roadblock that is the time to stop slow down and ask the lord lord is there something you're wanting to change? Is there wanting something you're wanting me to see about me that I'm not seeing? Is there something about my character, my development, or my perspective of who you are that you're trying to change? Some of us hit roadblocks because our perspective... No, I'm just going to say it the way I feel like I didn't say it. I was going to try and dress it all up, but Nope. some of us find ourselves in places where the provision that God had given us is no longer there. And until we change our mindset and look towards God as good and we love Him for Him instead of the blessings that He gives us, often the blessings get removed from our lives because we've fallen more in love with the blessing of God than God Himself. And God wants to redirect your perspective to not love the things that God does for you, but so that you just love God no matter what. I can't tell you the number of times in my life things have shifted. Things were removed. Things were shaken. And I find myself wondering, God, what's going on? I thought you loved me. Why is this not here? Why is this happening? And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing, I love you enough to help you realize you love that thing that I did for you more than you loved me. I had to com- be confronted with some of my motives during COVID as a pastor and sit and examine those things. <laughs> oh, this is, I feel like I'm about to get real vulnerable. Hold on, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't mentally ready for this one. I, I had to ask myself and the Holy Spirit had to ask me during COVID do you really love people or do you just like talking to groups of people see until you hit a roadblock you don't ever stop to examine some of the things in your life that have just naturally happened Paul hit this roadblock And he had to exercise some restraint, slow down so that he could hear from heaven's perspective. Maybe you're at a roadblock and that's what God is trying to do to you. Shift your perspective. Are you willing to ask the questions and let Him speak? Here's the second thing when you hit a roadblock, begin to explore a reroute, asking God for guidance. Is it time for something to end and go a new direction? See, When Paul decided to start visiting churches, God didn't correct his desire to revisit those churches, but God did prevent him from revisiting those churches. He instead rerouted them in the process and created new opportunities and new methods and more multiplication in the kingdom of God because he rerouted them instead. So instead of Paul going to those nations, he released other leaders and other leaders to go to those places instead. Multiplication. Instead of showing up and encouraging them himself, he began to write letters that they saved that were eventually canonized and put into your Bible. Had he never rerouted his method may have never changed. He may have never written a single letter had he not experienced this roadblock. See, it was when he was in prison in Philippi that in the midnight hour, he and Silas began to worship and praise God. And he decided that this roadblock was an opportunity to lift his eyes to the hills and get heaven's perspective. And in the midst of their worship, Change fell and miraculous things occurred. So much so that that experience changed him in a way that later on in life he would be in prison in Rome yet again. And as he's at the end of his life in Rome, he writes a letter back to the church in Philippi where he was imprisoned with Paul and Silas. And this time he's writing from a different perspective. He's writing from a place where he's seen roadblock after roadblock, but his faith was never shaken. He was writing and he writes these words starting in verse two. It says, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. And I ask you, my true partners, to help these two women for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. In other words, he's helping people settle their, riffs in Philippi and he continues to write he says they worked alongside with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life and so therefore friends always be full of joy in the Lord I'm going to say it again rejoice let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do Remember, the Lord is coming soon. And don't worry about anything. Oh, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. And His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true about the other person about your situation about God about your roadblock about your riff fix your thoughts on what is true on what is honorable on what is right and pure and lovely and admirable think about these things that are so excellent and worthy of praise keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me everything you heard from me and saw me do then the God of peace oh he'll be with you too Paul could write with all integrity, rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because no matter what roadblock he faced, he learned how to rejoice. Friends, that's our prescription when we hit our roadblocks. We learn to rejoice. We learn to rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice for the circumstance, but we rejoice in the midst of the circumstance. We don't praise God for the cancer, but in the face of cancer, we say, praise God, he's worthy to be praised. We don't praise God for the loss of the job, but we say in the midst of the loss of job, God, you are worthy still to be praised. In the midst of confusion and rerouting of my life, I don't understand what's happening. I feel surrounded by everything, but God, help me see that I'm surrounded by you instead. It might look like you are still good and we allow our roadblocks to shift our perspective to heaven would you stand with me see he was also to the church in Philippi not only did he say rejoice he, he would write and he would say all the things that you think are most important in your life are you willing to let go of those so that you can embrace me as the most important in your life that's what he wrote in Philippians chapter 3 right before Philippians chapter 4 when he says rejoice rejoice friends sometimes God is trying to reroute our life and redirect us to something new but we're too busy trying to hang on to what was old and we're unwilling to let it go and embrace what he's doing today to let go of our mindset and our perspective and make sure our hearts are in love with him more and more each day. Could you bow your heads? Maybe you're here in the room, and there's some relational tensions. Maybe you're at a place where life has thrown you a roadblock. I wonder if maybe there's a song of praise that you need to give as a sacrifice. is there there something in your life and heart that you know you've been holding on to as more important than God himself and God is reorienting you to say no I'm worthy I'm more maybe you're at a place where you feel absolutely surrounded by everything in this world and you feel like everything is against you and God is saying I want you to know I'm still surrounding you too you're in that place would you be bold enough to step out in faith enough and right where you're at would you just open your hands before the Lord and begin to open your mouth and just begin to give God praise would you just begin to rejoice in the Lord Would you just begin to say, Lord, you're so good. God, you're so worthy. Lord, your goodness is running after me. Your goodness is chasing after me. Your goodness is there with me. Lord, it it may look like something is hitting me. Something is coming against me. But God, you're, you're the lifter of my head. Lord you're the one where my eyes come from my eyes are on you Jesus the maker of heaven and earth Lord I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist where he said I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen his seed begging for bread God would you shift our perspective from the grinds of this world to recognize that your goodness is coming after us the plans that you have for us are good plans the things that you're looking for the things that we're longing for are good God you're a good God you're a holy God you're a righteous God Lord, your goodness is running. Your goodness is coming. Lord, our songs are a praise like Paul and Silas were willing to praise you in the middle of anything we're facing, God. It's your goodness. It's coming after us, Lord. May we see your goodness in the land of the living. Yes, God this is the cry of our heart this is our song of praise thank you Lord work in our hearts Lord yeah don't let anyone silence your praise Don't let circumstances put a clamp on your worship. Lord, may we be people of worship even in the midst of our own chains and brokenness. Lord, may our eyes be fixed on you and what is good and true and honorable and lovely and just and pure and praiseworthy. Lord, instead of worrying about everything, Lord, help us to pray without ceasing getting your perspective on everything. Lord, we thank you that our eyes are on you. And Lord, more importantly, that your eyes are still on us. Lord, your eyes are on us you see us, you notice us, you hear us, and you are with us always. Whatever the season is, we trust in you, Jesus. We thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, two things, and then we'll speak blessing over each other. Number one, if you need prayer, maybe you're facing a real challenging season. We'd love to pray with you more specifically. Our team is available for that. Number two, if you're ready to take a next step, baptism, child dedication, something like that, and we'd love to help you move forward in your next steps, you can stop out in the lobby. We'll help you to do that. But let's speak blessing over one another. Can we do it? It's on the screen. Nice and strong, full of faith. Ready, go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you. Give you peace. Hey, we love you. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we wanna help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I wanna ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.